nothing else. Okay, it's Pentecost Sunday. Come on. Come on. Come on, come on, come on. Now, if you open your Bibles, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. I hope you have a Bible. If you don't, open up your smartphones or whatever. I, I can just share with you, just so you're aware of my heart, for, for this preaching that I'm doing today, which is to be shortened, it's, also, it's really good to not have to scroll through your phone because it's going to like jump over. Look at verse 13. Look at this one. Look at this one. And it's really good to have your Bibles and learn how to open them and use them. So I encourage you to bring them to church. Okay. Acts chapter 2 starts out, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all with one accord in one place. We're talking about the 120 in Acts chapter 1. They were all with one accord and in one place. Earlier in verse or chapter 1, it says they were devoting themselves to prayer. And they were there because they were uh, obeying the Lord. It says, wait, don't go yet. Wait, and you'll see power, and you'll be my witnesses. The day of Pentecost is when the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them. It's really interesting because I'll share a little bit. I'll try to review last week. And let several people said, man, I wish everybody was there last week. Last week was Memorial, Sunday, Memorial Day Sunday, so most of you weren't here. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, one of the things um, that I talked about is there's been a work of the enemy to stop the empowerment of the church by the Holy Spirit. In other words, there's been a lot of confusion and controversy over the empowering work of the Holy Spirit over the church. Why? Well, because the devil knows if the church gets empowered, he's in trouble. All right? And it's interesting because yesterday I was up on the road. It was yesterday evening, and I'm walking, and, and one of my friends from the church that we planted this church from was riding his bike by, and he stopped. We visited for a minute, and he said, Are you ready for tomorrow? I said, I sure am. It's Pentecost Sunday. You look at me like, oh, oh, really, is it? I said, yes, it is. He said, oh. Because see, the church I was raised up with is like, be careful of Pentecostals. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. And this, I'm, I'm just being, they were great people, but they weren't for a subsequent experience of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They were against that. In fact, they said people who believe that are either in the flesh or something worse. That's, that's how I was discipled. And so when people talked about Pentecost, like it was something that happened way back there and it's not affecting my life today and it's not supposed to keep affecting my life. And those people who think it's supposed to, you stay away from me because I'm scared of you. It was really interesting in our journey um, as a church. We, we were a Bible-believing church, and, and we really had a heart for worship, and we were growing in our uh, connection with Lord and worship and even our expression. And Kathy Kahn like, kind of coaxed Brenda and I to go to this worship event. It was in Anchorage. It was Anchorage City Church, which was known as a, a Holy Spirit, charismatic Pentecostal church. And Brenda said, oh, Brenda, we said, okay, we'll go. But we're like, we're nervous. We're nervous, and so we go to this church, and everybody seemed pretty, pretty normal. <laughs> and and uh, we walk in, and people are friendly, and they welcome us, and and everybody seems normal and cool until the music started. 
And then something happened to him. Like all of a sudden, like, I don't know how many flags were being waved, but there were a lot of flags. I'm not used to this. You got to see, no. And people, lots of hands are in the air and people are even dancing like Dylan up here. And Brenda and I are like nervous. And I say that partly because sometimes when you come to, even to this church and you see our, a couple of our young people dancing before the Lord, or you see Charlene and a couple of people with flags, you go, do I have to be like that to be all in? Let me say, no, you don't. Pentecost is not about a worship style. It's about an empowering work of the Holy Spirit. How many would like to have fresh empowerment from the Holy Spirit? And so I want to talk to you real quickly about the word Pentecost, because there's a revelation in Pentecost I want to grab a hold of that's real important. Pentecost is a scary word. Just telling you that up front. Pentecost means 50. Whoa. It means 50. And so on the day of Pentecost had fully come, it's saying 50 days have happened. 50 days since what? Well, here is 50 days since the resurrection. If you go back in our calendars, 50 days, it'll be Easter. And so this is Pentecost Sunday. 50 days ago was, was Easter Sunday. And the interesting thing is Pentecost used to be the celebration of the giving of the law. 50 days after the Passover. Remember the Passover is when God is delivering Israel from, from captivity from the Egyptians. Tell him, Pharaoh, let my people go. Moses in that place. The last plague is the death angel is coming over the nation. And so for the Israelites to be safe from the death angel, they had to put blood right over the doorpost so the death angel would pass over, actually symbolizing salvation that the blood of Jesus causes death, the second death, not to affect us, and we will be resurrected for everlasting life. So Pentecost used to be the celebration of 50 days from Passover, which was Sinai, the giving of the law. Moses goes up on Mount Sinai. The glory of the Lord comes on him. He shines with glory. He's coming down with tablets, the Ten Commandments. So from that point on, Pentecost, another name for it is Feast of Weeks, which means seven weeks plus one, 50 days. Feast of Weeks happened to celebrate the giving of the law. And so here we have the resurrection in Leviticus, just real quickly. In Leviticus, the Lord changed it by adding a day. He says, I don't want you to celebrate 50 days after Passover now. I want you to celebrate 50 days after the Sabbath, which is the day after Passover. Okay, why? Jesus the Lamb of God, crucified, right? Sabbath, Saturday, Sunday, resurrection. The Lord is orchestrating way back in Leviticus, the outpouring of his spirit will happen 50 days after Jesus was resurrected. Now, here's the cool thing to bring into this. When Moses came down with the 10, ta 10 tablets, what happened? The people were in rebellion. They fall short of the law and 3,000 people died. When Peter gets empowered with the Holy Spirit, he preaches a message. And how many people get born again? 3,000. You see, God is so amazing the way he orchestrates this all out. The law brings death, but the spirit brings. I want to show you how Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 
He says, for if the ministry of condemnation, which was the giving of the law, has glory, how much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory? Now, I don't know if you remember this, but when Jesus got baptized, John the Baptist said, it's not, I I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. And what did Jesus say? But for righteousness sake, you need to baptize me, right? So what happened when he was baptized? What happened? A dove, the Holy Spirit came down on Jesus like a dove, right? And then he heard this voice from heaven, Matthew 3. And what did the voice say? This is my beloved son, in him I am well pleased. Righteousness. The pleasing, the father says, this is my son. Now, it is important for us to recognize that when Jesus, and I'm repeating a little bit of last week, when Jesus ministered, he did not minister as the son of God. He ministered as the son of man. Okay, this is important. He ministered as the son of man, not the son of God. He laid aside the privileges of divinity and walked on this earth as a man, fully submitted to the will of the Father. I only do what the Father says. I only, I only say what the Father's saying but empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't start ministry until he got baptized by the Holy Spirit. So in Acts chapter 3, or Acts chapter 10, 38, Peter is making this point, and he says, you guys all know this, that Jesus of Nazareth, how God baptized him or anointed him with power and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit and power, he went around doing good and healing everybody who was oppressed by the devil. How many of you think the devil was upset that Jesus got anointed by the Holy Spirit and power? Here's the thing. The devil gets upset when the church gets empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus says, as the Father sends me, so send I you. So if Jesus' assignment, 1 John 3, 8, the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil... If that's his assignment, what's our assignment? Somebody say, destroy the works of the devil. What are the works of the devil? Disease, destruction, death, depression. Jesus came to give life. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have and have it abundantly. So we step into this mission. This is our mission. This is our assignment. And this is why Jesus told the disciples, man, don't get out there and start trying to do work with the devil until you get the power of the Holy Spirit because you're going to be in trouble. How many Christians try to do Christianity without the power of the Holy Spirit? Everybody raise your hand because you've all been there. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. If you have teenagers, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're married, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. A lot of amens on that one. So let's see what happens to these guys that have been waiting for the Lord for 10 days. Um, starting Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse, verse 2. The lighting up here is a little bit hard for me. And suddenly, somebody say suddenly. There came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting And there appeared to them tongues as a fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. Now, 
I told the prayer team that we had a prayer group here earlier. This is the first time I really actually realized what it says there, because I know it filled the disciples, but I didn't really ever think about this. It filled the whole house. Like the presence and power of the Holy Spirit did just come and fill the people. The whole atmosphere was charged with the electricity of heaven. Have you ever been in services where the whole atmosphere is charged by the electricity of heaven? I have. You don't come out of those places unchanged. You come out of those places changed. One of the things that we intentionally are trying to create is an expectation in your hearts and my heart that God will come and leave you or mark you when you come. He'll mark you so that you're never changed again, or you are changed. You're changed in a good way, never to go back the same. And I'm believing for that even, even today, even today. Verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation. Somebody say every nation under heaven. Now, you know, um, one of the things this week as I was pondering, by the way, I've been involved with a prayer meeting that's going on 24-7 with people from all over the globe. Right now, there is a a, a prayer movement that is crying out to God for the last outpouring for the last great harvest. And it's like people on fire from every nation. Last night, this Venezuela lady, I mean, you know Venezuela has gone through a hard time. This lady, like she's got so much faith, she's just breathing fire in the intercession. I go, whoa, help me get like that. But I'm, I'm telling you, like, there are people all over the world, like, crying out to God to move. How many know the planet needs God to move right now? America needs saved and needs awakening. And so I've been part of this intercession. And one of the questions I've had is, like, I wonder why it was 10 days. Do you ever 40 days, 10 days? But you realize when you look at this that there were people from every nation. They were in Jerusalem because it was the Passover weekend. So he was going to pour out his spirit so that All the nations got an impact by it. That's why it's 10 days. So it happens 50 days, but it happens during the weekend that all the people have traveled pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And that's why this is so crazy when it says, and when they, uh, when the sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Verse seven, and they were, amazed and astonished, saying, why are not all those who are speaking Galileans? I mean, how are they speaking in our language? Or how am I hearing in in their language? Here's what I want us to get a hold of. This is probably the thing I feel the Holy Spirit on more than anything this morning. Because a lot of people get hung up on why well, I, I, I felt like I got I got a prayer language or I got tongues and and then I prayed for people and Sometimes, most of the time, they don't get healed, and I don't think I, I, I think I'm, I think I'm baptized the Holy Spirit, but I don't think I have, I don't know, I don't, I'm confused. Anybody in the room has that kind of thing going on? What I, what I want to get a hold of is here are these disciples and the, and the women. There's 120. They've experienced Jesus for three years. They've experienced the crucifixion. Now they've seen him raised from the dead. He spent 40 days telling about the kingdom. And he says, you're not ready yet. You've got to have the power of the Holy Spirit. What happened when they received it? One of the main things that happened is they no longer were timid. 
they no longer had fear of man. What happened was they experienced the baptism of the Father's love. They understood now their righteousness was not a theory or a theology. It was an experience. Listen to me, church. We can preach righteousness all day long, and you can sign up and check off the dots. But if you don't have the experience of the Father's affirmation, you will not walk the way God wants you to walk. You will walk with timidity. You won't carry that confidence to be that witness that God wants you to be. What happened there was they received that revelation that the Father says, in you I am well pleased, and all of a sudden they're undone. They're undone by the love of God. They're empowered by the Holy Spirit. They're speaking supernaturally, and they're not afraid of those people that just put Jesus to the cross. The reason people are not getting saved daily is because the witness isn't confident daily. I'm just telling you. The, the, the reason that we don't, aren't doing baptism services more than once a, a year is because we need a fresh endowment of the courage and power of the Holy Spirit. We have the confidence that we have no fear of man. Say no fear of man. This comes, this comes in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They were sold out to be his witnesses, but they needed this encounter. What does 2 Timothy 1.7 says? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Verse, jump down to verse 12 and 13. And they were all continuing in, in amazement. Somebody say amazement. I, 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 I go through this like, and people get amazed by the church. How many of you are like, it's time for the people to get amazed by the church, like perplexed by the church, like astonished by the church. Come on now. Only three of you believe me. <laughs> Continue amazement, great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? Others were mocking them, saying they were full of sweet wine. Um, you know, I, I'm just going to share this. One of the reasons why people have come against a subsequent baptism of the Holy Spirit is because sometimes the church exaggerates stuff. So, so, sometimes the church makes it showy. Sometimes it feels fake. Anybody in the room hearing me? And one of the things I said last week is when God comes in the room and does things, it can get weird. But we will not exaggerate in this house. We will not fake. We will be authentic. And hopefully we authentically experience the power of God at Northgate. Yeah. So Peter grabs the mic. He's anointed by the Holy Spirit. and He preaches this amazing sermon I love. You need to read through it. Um, I'm just going to pick up a little bit of it. The, he speaks to them with bold confidence. And uh, the Spirit of the Lord is on him to preach the good news in Acts 2.38. Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
And verse 41 says, And 3,000 believed him that day and were baptized. And then just kind of, you know, we've gone through some of this about the church. Not only did the church become a mega church on day one, but they also met house to house. So they knew how to be big and yet small. And there's been a lot of negative words about mega churches. If we're anointed by the Holy Spirit, we'll learn how to be big and yet small. Because they met house to house. And uh, so everyone was brought in, was discipled. It wasn't like some were left out because it was a mega church. There was a, a discipling going on. They devoted to the word of God, to prayer, to fellowship, and uh, the apostles' teaching. Then verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Anybody long for that? And I hope I'm not the only one that's longing for that. I've had a chance the last couple of weeks, three weeks, to be with new believers. It's so refreshing. I so love it. It's, it's just like a change when you're sitting with a new believer, and, and the first time I get to tell them, hey, buddy, you need to quit listening to that voice reminding you of your sins. Yeah. That's not God's voice. That's your accuser. I love when they like, seriously? I say, God doesn't have any memory of your sins. They look at me, really? I told one guy yesterday, I was with him, a new believer. I said, do you know what? I'm not going to tell you his lifestyle, where he was, but he would say it was not good. It was close to the Apostle Paul. And he, he said, um, I, t- I told him that too. Look at the Apostle Paul. He said, um, I told him, I said, listen, I'm a pastor. I've been pastoring for 30 plus years. You've been doing that for 10 years. When we stand before God right now, we both have the same righteousness. And he looked at me. I said, are you, he said, are you serious? I said, 100%. You guys need some new believers in your lives. You need to just be discipling some new believers. Youth, you got a whole bunch of targets in your school. Get them. So Peter, you know, uh, Peter and John... They're just filled with Holy Spirit and power. They're walking to go to prayer. They're just devoted to prayer. On the way to prayer, you guys know the story. The beggar, gate beautiful, he's been lame for 40 years. I love this picture. The beggar looks at them like he's going to get money. And Peter and John says, what did he say? Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. What did he have? Here's what he had. He had the heart of the father for this young man that had been sitting there a beggar for 40 years, lame since birth. He has the Father's heart for him. He didn't just have power. You could, they go together. They go together. If we have to receive both, you can't give away what you don't have, right? So he says, what I have, I give to the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. And all the people are like, what? Not a Christian term. What the heck? <laughs> what is going on? They're amazed. They're going, they look at Peter and John, and the authorities are looking at them after they get flogged and thrown in prison. And, and they look at them, and they say, these men, they have such confidence. And they're untrained and uneducated. But then they recognize, but they've been with Jesus. Now listen, say, everybody say confidence. You see, what needs to come upon the church is not just a power to heal the sick, but a boldness, 
a boldness and a confidence that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And in a culture of saying we're intolerant, bummer for you. It's the only way to God. God's doing something fresh in the church in America right now. I, I see these youth. I see the sin. God is up to something. I want to get right in the middle of it, don't you? I'm going to fast forward real quick because um, I want to spend some time in prayer and back to worship too. In Acts chapter 4, we find Peter and John are released and and Peter and John says, you know, who should we obey? They tell them, quick, go, don't go preaching in the name of Jesus anymore. Don't do, be doing that anymore. And uh, Peter and John says, who should we obey? God or you? you? You make that decision. But we cannot stop talking about what we've seen and what we've heard. Somebody say unstoppable. Say unstoppable. Say I'm unstoppable. In the Holy Spirit, I'm unstoppable. You see, Jesus, last week I reminded you, your neighbors, Jesus desires to be saved. Your neighbors, Jesus desires to be saved. He wishes that none perish, but that all would be saved. Your neighbors, Jesus desires to be saved. Why are you in that neighborhood? Why do you have that neighbor that annoys the heck out of you? Why do you have that neighbor that has a dog that barks all the time? Because, he, he, because Jesus wants them to be saved. He puts you there. He puts you there because Jesus wants them to be saved. Why do you have that coworker that annoys you? You know the answer because Jesus wants them. Why do you have that classmate, right? Why do you have that classmate? Even that one that bullies you. Why do you have that, that person that bullies you? Tell me, isn't it because Jesus wants them to be saved? Yeah. He wishes that none perish. They'll all be saved. He paid the price for them. And so the disciples leave and they go back to their comrades. And we're going to jump into this prayer model, actually, in Acts chapter um, 4. And I'm going, to, I'm going to read it, if I can, with the lighting up here. It starts out, um, I love this, verse 23, when they had been released, they went to their own companions, reported all that the chief priests and the elders had done to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, and then they quote out, uh, Acts chapter 2, why did the Gentiles rage? We're in a culture where there's growing hostility against the church. We need to be aware, but not afraid. Why the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles, had the peoples of Israel and the people of Israel to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. By the way, what's going on in America is not a surprise to God. I think I don't believe he designed it, but I think he'll use it. 
And what is he going to use all this stuff that's going on for evil? He's going to turn it for good by empowering the Holy Ghost onto his church. He's going to pour out his spirit on his church because we're going to ask for it. Good. We got three of you in agreement. I only need two, so. Verse 29, and now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed the prayer, here's the thing I want to point out. The place had been uh, had gathered together was shaken. This was a, a second encounter of the Holy Spirit, same one that group of people encountered in Acts chapter 2, now encounter 4. If you encountered the power of the Holy Spirit past, you need another encounter, and another one, and another one, and another one. To stay in, in line with what he wants to do, we need encounters with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with all, somebody say boldness, with all boldness. I, I want to give one illustration, then we're going to go into prayer and uh, take some, probably half hour. Um, <clears throat> You know what? I'm not going to take the time for that because I want to take more time for prayer. I, I feel like we've been doing this kind of, but we haven't really prayed together. So I felt like we need to pray. Last week I shared a couple of scriptures about praying and asking. And, uh, and I think, feel like that's what we need to do. We need to ask. So I'm going to have the worship team come up here. Put, put your praying heart on. As they're coming up, you know, I, sh- I started our, after our worship, I transitioned out of worship with talking about as a boy, seeing the mountain and, uh, and seeing creation and recognizing there's a big, big person out there. I think he's a person, definitely a force, a designer that designed all this. And, and I, and I always felt this desire to respond to that designer, to that creator and didn't know how to respond because I didn't know him personally. Um, but it's so interesting to me that when, when these disciples got together after John and Peter had faced the threats of the authorities, the first thing they did was recognize the creator. Look at that. Let's go back to that. Acts 4. Do I have that up there, William? Acts 4, I think it's 20. I lost my place in my Bible. Go back. Can you go back? Go back, go back, go back, go back, go back. 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 No, no, it's not there. Okay. Sorry. Take me. It's summertime. I don't know what that has to do anything, but I'm trying to. Acts chapter 4. Why don't you stand with me? It said, when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, you see, they're on mission with God. Like, they're not relenting at all. Even though opposition they've experienced is like, we're, we're unstoppable. It doesn't matter if people are hostile toward us. It doesn't matter if the government's hostile toward us. We're on mission with God. We're unstoppable. And so they lift up their voices with one accord and said, It is you, O Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all 
that is in them. We're in mission with the creator of the universe. So can we bow our heads and we'll go into worship. Father, uh, we stand before your throne of grace. And first of all, we just want to say yes, Lord. We've been called your sons and daughters, not just to get us to heaven, but to actually build your family on the earth, to actually initiate the work of God on the earth, that many people would be ushered into the kingdom to know Jesus, to be their, your sons and daughters. And so, Father, we, we bow before you. You're big. You're strong. You created the mountains. You created Pioneer Peak, the glaciers. And we just want to appeal to you as our Father. You're a Father who loves and a Father who has no lack. And so we turn to you right now as we go into prayer and worship. Father of creation.